So for the two of us to buy a four-bedroom house was kind of a bit strange, but we always shared it. We was I don't think there was any time where it was just the two of us. We That's kind of how we made it work. Um, and through that, then, we were able to pay back a fair bit quicker than normal because we had this additional income and because we were living very, very frugally. Well, what is important to me, and I identified that actually having that financial security of being mortgage-free was, was actually what I preferred to do and we sold some properties I did come away with a house that was mortgage-free it didn't happen overnight but it did it did in fact happen welcome to get invested on the property hub podcast channel the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self health and wealth potential I'm your host Bushy Martin and each week I go deep with the best investors experts leaders and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind discover freedom and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, Freedom Fighters. What's your biggest and scariest monthly financial commitment? For many hardworking Aussies, it's your home loan and or your property investment loans. The latest ABS census confirms that more than a third or about 35% of Australia's 9.8 million homes are owned with a mortgage. And a recent report indicates that on average, homeowners currently need to spend between 40 to 45% of their income on mortgage repayments. Now, the national average mortgage level has increased by 36% since 2018 to around $600,000. And according to the latest ABS figures, which means that repayments are now about $3,600 each and every month based on a principal and interest loan at 6%. Now, that's a big chunk of anyone's income. And for many Aussies, the endless and potentially increasing mortgage repayments are the biggest yoke, or some would say noose, that weighs them down and restricts them financially and limits their lifestyle and opportunities for 25 to 30 years. Now, this is very daunting. For many, paying off the mortgage feels impossible or worse. And there's the constant uncertainty and fear of further rate rises causing financial stress as many lie awake at night staring at the ceiling. So what can you do about it? What if there are ways that you could pay off your home loan in a third of the time and smash it out in 10 years? Now, I'm not suggesting that to pay off your home loan quicker, you need to forsake everything else and live like a hermit by staying at home, living on a diet of toast and two-minute noodles while you watch endless reruns of Friends on free-to-air TV for the next decade. And I'm also not suggesting that you stop investing in property or doing anything else until you've paid off your home loan. Because if you set things up properly, like our know-how property finance broking team does for investors, you'll be amazed to find that almost counterintuitively, owning a well-structured investment property will actually help you pay off your mortgage years earlier and save you tens of thousands of dollars in loan interest, at the same time as you secure a property that's increasing in value and building your wealth. Now, we'll discuss thoughts on this option more with our special guest today. But, uh, but as you're about to hear, there's a myriad of ways that you can knock big holes in your home loan and pay it off much sooner without limiting your lifestyle. Because today we're joined by a returning Get Invested guest who has recently released a great book on this very subject. I'm talking, of course, about Serena Bird, whose latest book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, and even when interest rates are going up, is making a really big impact. Now, you remember Serena from Get Invested episode 129 way back in August 2020. So if you haven't listened to it yet, make sure you do to enjoy her journey on how she's become a self-made millionaire as the joyful frugalista, money coach and fellow podcaster, despite many personal challenges. And she joins us again today to deep dive in her latest book where you'll hear her tips, 
tricks and strategies to help you pay off your mortgage faster so that you can actually enjoy your life more. So welcome back and let's get invested again, Serena. Thank you so much for having me back. And I can't believe it's been three years since we last chatted on the podcast. Oh, my goodness. It's like those COVID years. It's like there's this memory gap. Everything sort of was slow and yet fast at the same time. Absolutely. And there's almost been a lifetime of uh, change uh, during that time for for most people uh, around the world in in that respect. Uh, But uh, I really keen to dive into the uh, topic uh, today with you, Serena, because it's something that's very pertinent to most Australians at the moment. Yeah. But before we, I guess before we get into that, um, uh, I'd love you to sort of refresh us on what you do differently and more importantly, why do you do what you do, Serena? Yeah, look, that's a a good question. I I guess sort of my, you know, unique selling point is that I really embrace the frugal lifestyle. And when I say frugal lifestyle, it's really frugalista lifestyle. Um, I'm really big on saving money, but I'm also really big on having a life. So I try and do things where I can cut costs and live more sustainably, but also think more critically about those things that bring value to me and value for my kids. Um, And I think, you know, obviously, when you're in a position where you have financial security and financial stability, it's actually just friggin' amazing. Like, um, you know, now that I don't have a mortgage on where we live anymore, for instance, you know, you're talking about, you know, the average uh, P&I, you know, mortgage repayments on a $600,000 loan at 6% is nearly $3,600. It's around three, five, nine, seven. Like not having that, you think of all the things you can spend money on that, you know, for your family. Uh, it, and it is amazing. Like this year, for instance, my eldest son, you know, needs major, major orthodontic work. It really wasn't an option. Uh, he really needed it. My youngest ones decided to play table tennis competitively and and that, you know, means a lot of travel. Um, and my stepdaughter's just got married. So, you know, these are things that for a lot of families would cause a lot of stress. And we go, oh, yeah, look, it's expensive, but look, it's not no problem. Yeah, it's a really good point uh, and, and, and a great setup for the, the exercise today. But uh, I'd love for you to share, uh, since we caught up, uh, a, you know, a couple of years ago, nearly three years ago now, what's changed in your money and investing life uh, since we chatted back then? Yeah, quite a lot of changes. So I think I was mortgage-free, but then we sort of went back a little bit to invest in a few other things, but now totally mortgage-free, car loan-free, credit card-free. Sold one investment property uh, during COVID. Um, As the market was swinging upwards, we probably could have waited a little bit longer. But what had changed was that this particular property needed a lot of renovation and it wasn't, again, not not cosmetic things. It needed a kitchen that worked functionally and it and it didn't really. And um, after we had purchased the property, hubby had um, a heart attack. So we were no longer in the situation in our lives where we felt we could do that. Plus he was travelling a lot with work. So uh, we sold one and started investing more heavily in ETFs, but are very happy to keep the other three um, for now, especially while there's still a demand for property. Um, and then the other big news is that my husband is fully retired now, So, which happened about a month and a half ago, about six weeks ago, So, which was always planned. But he's gone into retirement now with, with zero debt, which is great. Um, and then I've gone back to full-time work because the opportunity was there and I liked having stable money of my own coming in um, and to invest more. Yeah, I love it. What I love about uh, when you get in a position where you're financially independent, you have the choice of 
uh, if and when you want to work and how you want to work. So, uh, you know, what I love about what you're doing is, you know, we all need purpose and we all need to be making a difference. Uh, you, know, you can only sit so long on a on a hammock on a beach drinking pina coladas before you're going to go crazy. So uh, I love the fact that you've actually got the freedom of choice to be able to make those calls at times when it suits you. So that's awesome. Hey, uh, now, one thing I, I like to ask a lot of our guests these days, Serena, is to, if you sort of look back uh, over your career so far, can you remember what your initial money and investment strategy was when you first started and, and how has this evolved and or changed over time and why? Yeah, good question. It's evolved and changed many times. And I think too, during due particularly due to relationship change has, has kind of been a big factor. And also moving into state, like when I was at university, you know, I lived in Queensland, lived in Brisbane, my family's now on the Gold Coast. And I guess for many years, I thought my sort of future and my life would be there. But then I ended up in Canberra and, you know, um, moving down here. I all a lot of my strategy changed in terms of where we wanted to live, where we wanted to invest. I always liked property, always have. My mother was and is an avid real estate investor. Uh, my dad is too. My parents aren't together. My dad uh, has two or had two investment properties, one of which was, was in Richmond, Victoria, in Melbourne, uh, which he bought at a time before it was trendy. It was pretty rough when he bought it, but he'd done some good work and he'd done really well from that. And I'd seen those sort of success, success stories and I always liked property. Uh, my ex-husband was a migrant uh, from Taiwan. He'd only been out in Australia a couple of months when I met him at university and he always liked property. But I must say, as a university student, because I was a student for so many years, I always sort of felt like it was a bit daunting, like how how on earth do you sort of get into that market? Um, how do you start? Now it's changed a little bit, and I'm not saying that I don't love property because I do, um, but I think it's just sitting and waiting because we've just gone through a major booming boom, particularly where I live, and I know you can invest anywhere in the world, but like often you do tend to invest close to where you live because you're noticing the trends. I know you can buy fantastic reports and use other services, but you often notice that. So I guess at this stage it's now kind of a bit of a sort of a holding pattern really. Um, but very glad that I've made um, those property investments. And like even just the other day, I was looking at some of the increases from a property that uh, my husband and I purchased in 2017. Uh, and if we were to sell now, like the money that would generate is more than two years worth of salary. So when you sort of see those kind of figures, you go, yeah, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and of course, it doesn't happen all the time. As you know, property, it can go through years where it's not booming. In fact, it can go backwards. But, you know, you, you have to be in in it for the long haul. And when you are and you look at it and go, wow, that just makes such a difference. Yeah, spot on. Now, I, I guess uh, given the focus of uh, our catch-up uh, around, uh, you know, paying off your mortgage. Can you sort of share with us your own mortgage elimination debt reduction story? And you, by the sounds of things, you've had a couple of goes of that. So I'd, I'd love uh, for you to share how you did it, what you did to, to make that happen. I would really love to be able to say that it was really simple and straightforward and, you know, it was a young couple knuckling down together to pay off one property and, you know, did it really quickly. But actually, yeah, it was more messy and more convoluted, but it still did happen. Uh, my ex-husband and I, we bought our first home in 2001. I'm just trying to think what month of the year. I think it was about mid-2001. 
uh, it was before September 11, I remember that because I remember watching that on the, the television. And I think we purchased a four-bedroom home on a decent block for about $239,000. And I remember being freaked out because I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, it's nearly a quarter of a million dollars now. I mean, you laugh now, right, because it's kind of crazy. And the market had already gone up quite a fair bit. It was uh, just after the first home uh, buyers grant had announced, but it certainly soared after that. So that was our first kind of property, and it was daunting and it was scary. Uh, but we, from the very get go, we had um, homestay students who we cooked for, and at that stage, it was fairly lucrative. I mean, we did it for the cost cultural stuff, but we also definitely did it for the money because we were first home buyers. Um, we live very simply. Mike's husband was earning a below um, average wage and I was still at the beginning of my career, so I wasn't earning a huge wage. So for the two of us to buy a four-bedroom house was kind of a bit strange, but we always shared it. We was I don't think there was any time where it was just the two of us. We That's kind of how we made it work. Um, and through that then we were able to pay back a fair bit quicker than normal because we had this additional income and because we were living very, very frugally. And then as we sort of got a bit more money, we would use some of the equity and we would purchase more properties. So by the time we separated in oh, nine years ago now, 2014, we had 10 properties in that portfolio. Yes, yeah, so that's kind of what we did. But, you know, in terms of paying off the mortgage, it, it wasn't really quite happening. Like I said, it wasn't a, a conventional story because we were constantly refinancing to buy more. And I guess there was a point in all of this where I kind of went, well, what is important to me? And I identified that actually having that financial security of being mortgage-free was, was actually what I preferred to do. But we sort of weren't quite doing that. Uh, so I won't say it's yeah, it was kind of a point of tension. We sort of had slightly different um, goals. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, though, once I actually got out of that relationship and we sold some properties, I did come away with a house that was mortgage-free. It didn't happen overnight, but it did, it did in fact, happen. Yeah. So that was the first house that I had mortgage-free. <laughs> okay. Yeah, love that. Love that. Uh, and we'll, we'll dig more into the, the approaches to make that happen uh, in part two of the exercise. But... Uh, yeah, and you're one of the rare ones at a pretty young age that's achieved your own uh, financial independence. So what does financial freedom mean to you and Neil? Um, like any people in a, in a couple, you often have slightly different um, ideas about what it means. I think with, with my lovely Neil, and he's not here to speak for himself, but it's certainly given him the freedom to retire. And he now, because of the way his superannuation scheme is, he now has basically an income for life. So it gives him more freedom to be involved in more community things and to do more travel and to do more other things. For me, it's a little bit deeper. And for me, I feel a deep sense of financial security. So um, outwardly growing up, I looked like I came from a very wealthy family, but I came from an environment where I really had to self-fund a lot of things, uh, including my travel to China and Taiwan when I was a student, and I often did it with not a lot of money. So I always kind of worked and I always dreamed of being in a situation where I was financially secure. And when I left my first husband, Sadly, due to domestic violence, I went to court and got an order. It was a real struggle for a while. And so for me, particularly as a single parent, having a roof over my head for my kids and I, knowing I didn't have to worry about landlords or rents going up, 
that was mine that I could provide for my kids in that way became really, really important to me. I won't say obsessive. I was nearly going to say obsessive, but it just became really important. And, you know, I think different people have different priorities sometimes depending on what's happening in their lives. About that same time as this became a really important goal to me, um, I was reading a lot from people in the, the FIRE, financial independence, uh, retire early community, especially those who were rent investing or just renting to invest. And they were very strongly opposed to owning um, homes. And, you know, that's their, their right. But mm. for me, you know, it was really about my family and the stability and security for my kids because there was a lot of things that weren't very safe or weren't very secure, but this was one thing I could do. Absolutely love that. And, it, and you make a good point because everyone's individual on this. Mm. And it's, it's about your own sleep at night factor and what makes you feel safe and secure. Uh, some are happy to rent and put money into other things. Uh, other people want to know that if the world goes to hell, then then no one can take the, the roof away. So uh, it, it's really good to uh, acknowledge that. Now, sort of uh, jumping into the the current and the future for a minute, uh, Serena, as, as you know, I'm a big fan of living by design and, and not by default. So I'd love for you to bit of, paint us a bit of an updated current picture on your life vision and your ideal lifestyle, if you could. Like where I want to go next. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, still still working on that, I guess. Um, I I had a goal for a long time to write a book and I've got three. So I would definitely like to be writing a book every two years. Yep. Um, you know, very committed uh, with my community. And, uh, yeah, definitely I have a, have a financial goal, I think. Uh, we've currently got our net worth at around just over three mil. I'd like to get it to five mil. Yep. Um, but that said, because of the way it's set up now with very little debt and income coming in, like it's, you know, like it's it's pretty secure. It'd be hard to be, well, you know, I'm sure there are people who can have a more secure situation than me, but it's pretty stable table really. So I, I guess those things are really important. I'm also very interested in entrepreneurship. So um, uh, notwithstanding the fact I, I've gone back to full-time work, I just, you know, would really love to do more in that space as well. Yeah, love it. So, uh, given you've already in, invested uh, very frugally but successfully to to get to this point, um, w- what are you going to invest in to both uh, attain and then maintain those goals that you spoke about? Can you talk us a bit about your thoughts around that? So, uh, Neil and I identify as conservative investors, and there was a couple of years ago, probably about three years ago, when I was on your podcast, where there was a lot of talk about crypto and really exciting investments. And you know, I did feel a bit old school and a bit boring. Um, but you know, we had identified that that's what was important to us, given you know that where we were in life. You know, I had young children that I'm still supporting. Neil was approaching retirement. I'm also not at the beginning stage of my life. Neither of us have a huge safety net. So this is what we felt was important to us. And it's kind of really strange now. Um, I was actually mentioning to um, Neil this morning that, you know, discussions about crypto have almost completely disappeared from the media right now, funnily, funnily. So, you know, so just just that, you know, just to note that that's how we self-identify. Um uh, and that doesn't mean we don't take risks, uh, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you know that's the overarching stra- strategy. So that now that um, you know the mortgage is paid off and Neil's retired, you know we invest in ETFs and we also invest in paying down um, investment properties. So it's kind of a bit of an equal split 
um, between those two things. And I'm a big believer of having really clear goals because sometimes you can rush off and do, you know, 100 million things and, you know, you're not clear. Um, and it, and I was a bit torn, to be honest, about whether or not to pay down the investment property because um, you do end up, you know, there are tax advantages to have it pretty lean and not repay it back so fast. But then, you know, as interest rates go back go up, you know, that's an extra sort of burden. It's more like the emotional burden. So we decided to split it for those, those reasons. Um, I also am very keen to get more into angel investing, which, you know, uh, fits with my love of innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, and especially to as I'm more and more connected with uh, people in the Canberra Innovation Network and with the Canberra um, Innovation Ecosystem. I do have one small um, angel investment, but I'm keen to do more. So I'm on the lookout for those. Um, and that is a little bit challenging in that uh, how as I said, we identify as conservative investments, and that is definitely not a conservative investing strategy, right? Like you could easily lose everything. Um, but it does fit with my values around helping other entrepreneurs. And I remember uh, meeting with a lovely friend who's a, a fintech entrepreneur, and he said he's always amazed how people don't invest in people. Um, you know, there's, there's some great ideas and they just really need a little bit love, but it's small amounts, you know, so I still have a very strong focus of paying down the mortgage um, and other um, ETFs. At this stage, we don't have uh, a view on buying another investment property or more investment properties. Yeah. That might change, but, you know, in this current climate, I think particularly where there's a lot of negativity around landlords and there's a little bit of uncertainty, we're just settling for now. That's it. I've always loved property, so it wouldn't surprise me if in 12 months' time if I see a bug and I change my mind. <laughs> well, what I love about what you're sharing there is and I guess I'm I'm in a similar school, fairly conservative investor, and, you know, if you listen to all of the, the greater investors in the world, Warren Buffett and others, they, they all say that good investment is very boring. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I think what I like about what you've shared with us is the diversification. You've got really good, solid conservative assets, uh, ETFs, uh, and the investment property, and you've got Neil's uh, annuity flowing out from his superannuation, yep. the baseline, where you can then put some risk money into some of the, the, the startups and other activities you're talking about without potentially putting in your risk, but there's still pretty good upside. So uh, a really good strategy, I think. But if we sort of look collectively at, at uh, what you've invested in over the years, can you sort of talk us through What's been your best and worst investment and, and what you've learned from each of those? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, the, the worst is, you know, don't get divorced. So, you know, <laughs> certainly, certainly goes through uh, your finances. And um, Neil and I have just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary and we reflected on how much we had grown and regrown um, by being together, you know, um, investing in a good relationship and, and choosing wisely is one of the best things you can do. And we just, you know, you do have those moments where, like, Day to day, you're just, you know, paying the groceries and, you know, getting the car repair, you know, paying for car maintenance. You don't see the overall picture. And then, you know, five years go by and you go, wow, like the whole situation is just, you know, improved dramatically. Like, you know, the properties have gone up and the shares have gone up and the super has gone up. And we also, you know, pay to the maximum allowable um, to get the tax benefits in both of our super as well um, and making good decisions about things and not, you know, like we could have, you know, bought crazy new cars. We could have had brand new cars each and, you know, crazy new houses and all sorts of things. Um, uh, so I guess, you know, the relationships uh, is, is a really key part of this. But in terms of the best and the worst, well, certainly um, some of the best is being property. 
there was one property in particular that we were just really lucky that uh, a developer wanted to buy it. There was a, a development approval to subdivide in the property next door, not in this one, and um, the developer just wanted it. But that said, it was also, I guess, good judgment, particularly by my ex-husband, of wanting to buy something near a hospital in an area that was clearly growing. So did that initial research. But we couldn't have foreseen that a developer wanted to buy it. And, you know, it was it was a phenomenal um kind of uh, increase that we sold it at, at for. And sadly, we did have to sell it because we were going through that that divorce. So I guess that's kind of been um, one of uh, my best. Uh, in terms of um, worst, well, I don't think there's anything that's been phenomenally bad. There was one property that didn't sell um, at a profit when we sold it, but like it was okay because it, it freed up cash. Probably more regrets about not buying more sooner. Like I think you always look at things and you sort of think, oh, that's kind of a good area. Maybe we should do that, but we don't have the cash right now. We'll revisit it in, you know, 12 to 24 months and things sort of go boom and you go, oh, well, you know, while I was thinking of that, while it was on my mind, I really should have done it. Wish I'd invested more in super early. I didn't really trust super when I was younger. I yeah. think because it was quite new uh, when I was first in the workforce, there's a lot of uncertainty about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, we knew it was a government-backed scheme, but still there was a lot of uncertainty about it and I didn't really trust it. And I wish I had more because it would have made a huge difference to us right now. I mean, we're already very blessed, but it would have made an even huger one. And I kind of wish I'd bought more uh, in shares, particularly in mining uh, in the early 200s, because I actually saw that, um, you know, as part of some of my public service roles. But for whatever reason, I just didn't trust it or act on it. So, yeah, you're nodding. It sounds like you have some similar experiences. Absolutely. It's the old fish that got away. The, the, the good news, I think, uh, Serena, is that uh, you, you've taken some action. Uh, you put yourself in a position where you've got those options. I think your comment around investing in relationships is absolutely key because, unfortunately, I've been in a similar boat uh, many years ago and uh, uh, got shipwrecked as as a consequence <laughs> of that. And uh, I think the power of two, if you're with the right person, it's not one mm. plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals 11 in terms of the power that, that comes out of that exercise. So I think there's some really good learnings about making sure that you invest in your relationship and keep investing in your relationship because it's the foundation of everything, I believe. So uh, it's a really good points there. And now sort of uh, taking a step back a little bit in terms of more of general view, uh, what do you believe are the keys to successful money management and investment and why? Uh, again, there's a lot in that, but I think it's, you know, being really intentional and really mindful. I'm a big believer in the little things. I mean, you know, there's that old vision, old-fashioned saying of, you know, watch the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. And I think a lot of times, particularly when we're going through boom times and people are borrowing to invest big, like that seems to be a bit outdated and people think, oh, it's a bit naff. But like it really is quite important because it's those habits. And I think it's less easy to be bamboozled by a, a quick rich scheme when you're used to being really mindful of small amounts like if you're kind of like oh look no I won't have that five dollar coffee because I'm saving for this that the other when someone gives you this good proposal and goes oh look it's only fifty thousand dollars yada 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 um you're a bit more like yeah but that how many like coffees that I didn't have was that investment worth like I better look at this carefully so I'm a big believer in the importance of the small things um that said, you know, we also have to have that abundance mindset to believe that we're worthy of things. Um, for instance, when you're so focused on I've saved a dollar here or, or $2 there, 
you might be so in that mindset that you don't put yourself forward to apply for a promotion at work or you might feel too scared to put that deposit on a property that's going to really be worth it in the long run. So it's looking after those small things but also having that big vision as well. Yeah, beautifully said. So if we if we look at the qualities and character traits that separate great managers from, and investors from the rest, uh, in your experience, uh, what does that look like? I think in my experience it looks like actually monitoring it. Um, I'm sure you're aware of, um, well, I'm assuming you would be of, you know, those 19 classics, 90s classics, the millionaires next door where they did a lot of studies on wealthy people in the US and you're nodding deeply because I'm sure you would be. But, you know, one of the key characteristics is they know how much money is coming in and they know how much is going out. And once again, it probably sounds all old-fashioned, like particularly when people are really busy and they're earning, you know, squillions, you know, in their high-flying corporate job or they think they will one day. But, you know, it's really surprising. It's money in and it's money out. And, you know, it's it's understanding that. And that there's a lot of psychology around that because it's hard. It's hard to admit you're spending too much. It's easy to blame your partner. <laughs> Nothing to do about you being an enabler or putting up with it or you spending more on other things. But, um, yeah, it's really um, monitoring that. And then with love and without without judging yourself or others too harshly, go, well, do I really need that subscription? Do I really need this? You know, oh, this was a bit of a spendy month. Maybe next month we'll have a bit of a lean month. And, um, yeah, just really knowing and noticing what's 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 going in and what's coming out. Yeah, spot on. And what I love about what you've said there is I, I don't think it's it what you're sharing is old, it's timeless. There's a, there's a big <laughs> difference in in the two. And uh, it's it's those timeless qualities of really knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it that, that makes the, the world a difference. And the intent to be across that is, is an absolute key aspect of that. Uh, so uh, the other thing I'd, uh, uh, if we sort of look back on your journey so far, uh, Serena, if you were starting out again, what, if anything, would you invest in differently, do you think? Oh, gosh, there's so many things. And actually, I was just thinking the other day that, you know, in the early 90s, where I had a, a job working as a law clerk, I was studying uh, arts law at university in Queensland, and I took a year and a half out and worked in a law firm. And then I thought I was sort of going to, I did that because I wanted to go to China. And then I sort of started to, you know, plan my future, but I ended up going to China anyway. But, you know, I was really interested in, you know, thinking maybe of buying an inner, sub, inner city apartment. And it wasn't that expensive at the time. Uh, I think from memory, it was about 100,000, which was to me was a lot. But like, you know, you think now, like, you know, those same ones are more than a million. But I was scared, you know, because I was still at uni. I was working full time. I had a good job. I would have qualified for a loan, I'm sure. Um, or would have had family support to do some. But, you know, it was scary because I still wanted to travel and I still wanted to do a lot of things. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, it was those early things that, you know, when you were younger are, are really quite scary. And, I mean, I had a family who loved property and I, I probably should have gone to them and said, look, this is what I want to do. How do we make this happen? But it was all just really scary. And um, so uh, it was probably, you know, in my late 20s before I really started, even though I did have that love of that. So I think in some ways it's just starting a little bit later than I would have liked to have. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I think you you mentioned a really good point because a lot of people see good opportunities but fear prevents them from actually taking the action. Have you got any any thoughts around, uh, given your own experience, how to overcome that fear to actually take the action uh, and not miss out on the opportunities or have regrets later on? 
well, I guess not not beating yourself up as well because there's always the fish that got away. There's always a sense that you're starting too late. Um, I did a lovely podcast uh, a while ago with uh, an entrepreneur I know in the Canberra Network who actually bought two properties when she was in high school. And by the time, and it was an upward market, the same market I bought in, but I didn't buy as many as she did. Um, and she graduated from high school financially independent and decided not to go to university because she didn't have to, um, but is doing phenomenal things. So, you know, there's always stories of, of ones who started earlier, did this and did that. So, you know, self-kindness is, is the first thing. Um, but in terms of how we get over that fear, I guess, you know, the more you educate yourself, you know, the more you actually sit down and you do the sums, which I wish I'd done more of, you know, really started looking at properties, really started to think about that. I mean, the potential rent would have been fine. It would have covered it when I was away. So actually the risks were actually quite small. But, you know, you feel, do feel like, oh, my God, it's property. I have to be there, um, even though you don't really. Um, and, I, and I guess the more you talk to people, who've done it you know how was it how did you go through that process listen to podcasts like your great podcast learn these things so it sort of demystifies it a little bit yeah beautifully said and i you know sort of looking at the the time exercise i've always said serena it's it's always too late to wait but it's never too late to start so exactly uh, if you haven't started early um you know look at some of the greats like uh colonel sanders and others who didn't really hit the <laughs> until they were in their mid to late 60s so there's uh there's always opportunity for us there if we prepared to educate ourselves uh, and get clear and comfortable about what we're doing and then take the action so uh look um really enjoyed uh what you've shared with us so far on your your own journey. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration, along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights, direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge, and I look forward to seeing you next time.